Well, as you guys know, over the last several weeks, really since the beginning of the year, we've been looking at how we can have a disciplined delight in God, how we can have a disciplined delight in the Trinity. And we've been looking at various ways that we do that, things that people of old had, have called spiritual disciplines. And uh, so we talked about how we could take in Scripture by reading it, by hearing it. We just heard from Zoe a few moments ago. By studying it, by meditating on, on it. We've considered how we can commune with God in prayer and then respond to God in worship. And last week we considered a bit of how we should be unashamed to share the gospel. Shame. And all of those disciplines have kind of a, they have a, a common thread. And one is, you know, that they are either receptive or they're expressive. It's like we can inhale with some and we exhale with others. We, for instance, we receive or we inhale from God and in how we take in and chew on his word. We express or exhale to God as we worship. And then as we evangelize, as we share the good news to others. We do a bit of both, inhaling and exhaling, receiving and expressing when we come before the Lord in prayer. But today, we get to learn how how to delight in the Trinity by denying ourselves the things that we want or need. In other words, fasting. As, as I said earlier, we had our own kind of fast today as we totally changed how we normally would do worship. And I got to tell you, it was a joy to hear you sing. Sometimes I can't always hear that up there. We could define fasting as the intentional denial or abstinence from something for a set period of time. Biblically speaking, most often people abstain from eating or drinking for a time. But as far as the reasons why, those reasons will vary. And we see that throughout. If you have your Bibles, let me encourage you to open them to Matthew chapter 6. This passage is part of the Sermon on the Mount. And in this passage, Jesus, really the Sermon on the Mount is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And in in this sermon, Jesus is, you know, there with his disciples at least and likely thousands of other people. And it's very interesting. He begins his sermon by talking about different attitudes. We call them B-attitudes. He's trying to encourage his followers to have a certain perspective in the way that they live, in the way that they interact with people, in the way that they experience trials and persecutions, in the way that they encounter God. And then in the next part of his sermon, he he goes through a whole series of things where he looks at the Old Testament and basically says, you have heard people say this, but I say to you. And it's as though in this whole middle section, he's trying to get people away from just following the law out of rote um, patterns, but really trying to get them to follow the law from their heart, really getting to the heart of the matter. And in some ways, he is... He is popping religious bubbles. We're comfortable when, in, when the box looks like this, when doing, you know, not murdering looks like this. But when Jesus says, but if you show anger, then you are 
guilty. It's like, whoa, Jesus, that's a little more. And today as we come to this part in in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus makes another turn. And and it's as though he's now taking not only our obedience to the law, but he's looking at our acts of righteousness, our deeds of righteousness. And he's encouraging his listeners to look at how they do that. In fact, he has kind of an introductory statement in Matthew chapter 6 verse 1 where he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Then he proceeds to talk for the next few paragraphs in Matthew's gospel about giving to the poor, about prayer. And we looked at that a couple weeks ago. And then as we get to today, Fasting. Look at verses 16 to 18 there in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says this. He says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, Anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So if we can consolidate everything Jesus just said into kind of one big takeaway, it, would be, it might be this, that Jesus expected us to, to fast secretly So that whatever benefit we receive comes from God alone. Jesus expected us to secretly fast so that whatever benefit we receive will be from God alone. And so in light of Jesus' teaching here, and I think some things that we see throughout the Bible, there are several things that we can learn. And that's, first of all, that fasting is expected or assumed. Fasting is expected or assumed. In fact, if you notice those, in those three verses that I read when Jesus talks about fasting, twice he says, when you fast. He expected that his followers would fast at some point in time. He assumed that they would. And so I began, as I was studying this week, I began to ask and, and wonder, you know, when was fasting introduced in the Bible? When do we get a first glimpse of that? And what I found is there's really only one legal command to fast, and that is on the Day of Atonement in Leviticus chapter 16, verses 29 to 31. And what's funny is they don't even use the word fast in this translation. But look at what it says. This, again, is the Day of Atonement. It says, And it shall be a statute for you, to you forever that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work, neither the native among you nor the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. 
And the word that is translated in, in this translation, afflict, has with it that connotation of fasting or denying. In fact, the Christian Standard Bible has that command in this way. It says, you shall practice self-denial. So that day of atonement was to be a day of repentance. That was the day that the priest would go in and provide a sacrifice for all the people, for the entire nation, to cover their sin for an entire year. And so it was a a day for them to really deny themselves and recognize their own sinfulness. It was a a fasting intended to help us to to convict of sin. So I think in the very least, Jesus expected that these Jewish followers, that his Jewish followers would be fasting on the day of atonement. But I think, I think he, would, he assumed that people would fast at other times as well. In fact, one of the things I learned is that there are a bunch of examples of fasts. And then, and then in the in-between time between Malachi and Matthew, there was a, a growing pattern of people fasting for a variety of reasons. But let, let's just look at a couple things. And, and again, in light of what we see throughout Scripture, we, we can learn that fasting might be individual or corporate. It could be individual, something we do by ourselves, or corporate, something we do together as a congregation. The Day of Atonement was clearly a corporate fast. It was a time where the entire congregation, the entire assembly would be fasting, would be denying themselves. But there are several other examples of corporate fasts that we see in Scripture. One is the book of Judges. If you remember in Judges chapter 20, there's this tragic scene when, when the entire nation, all 11 of the 12 tribes were going against the people of Benjamin because of some heinous sin, heinous crime that they had committed. And so all 11 tribes were out to destroy Benjamin. But one of the very interesting things is that they battled and they fought for several days and all of the other tribes were losing badly to this one tribe. And so finally, after losing thousands of soldiers, after thousands of people dying, died and got injured, they called a fast. The leaders, the judges called a fast and they fasted before the Lord and, and the Lord heard their prayers and he responded and gave them victory the next day because they fasted, because they set aside that time. That was a tragic time. I and mean, you can read about that, as I said, in Judges 20. But in another example of a corporate or congregational fast, in the days leading up to the time when she would confront the king, Esther called for the Jews in Susa to fast. And this was an extreme fast. They said, she said, call all the Jews and tell them not to eat or drink for three days. Now, whether that was just daytime eating or drinking, we don't know if it was 24 hours. I mean, that would be an extreme fast even today. But here, they were not fasting as a result of their own sin. They were fasting because they were in danger. And there were two ways that they were in danger. One is Esther, even though she was queen, and I don't fully understand all the ways that these guys would would do this, but the king, you were not allowed to go into the king's presence unless he invited you. So even dear old wife couldn't go see the king just whenever she wanted to. So she asked them, pray and fast that I might have favor with the king. But secondly, if, if she failed, so if she went in uninvited, she could be killed. She was afraid of that, and rightly so. But secondly, if she went in and had her petition before the king, 
She was asking that her life and the life of all Jews in that region would be saved because there was a death order out for them. So she was fasting and asking the people to fast and pray that God would give her favor with the king and that he would change his mind. And God rewarded them. And so there are clearly corporate or congregational fasts but we also learn that there are some spontaneous fasts. If you remember David in his he committed adultery with Bathsheba, she was pregnant and that child, when the child was born, was very sick. And so David fasted for days, praying and asking that God would save this child because he knew that it was his sin that caused this child to be sick, to be terminally ill. And so he was praying and saying, God, please relent this punishment. Don't Punish this child on my account. So for several days he fasted. And you can read about that in 2 Samuel 12. But we also see an individual fast from Jesus. The Bible tells us that right before he began his public ministry, he spent 40 days in the wilderness. And he fasted the entire time. His fast was intended to be, the, you know, Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke communicate that this time of fasting was so that he could experience a time of testing or temptation. And sometimes as, when we read it, we assume he went through the 40 days and then he faced the devil and had his few days or a few hours of testing after that. But it could have been that it happened over the course of that 40 days. But there have also been... over. Fasts in church history. In fact, this Wednesday marks the beginning of a season that many church traditions call Lent. It's a period of, the, according to Erdman's Dictionary of the Bible, it's a period of, of preparation prior to Easter. 40 weekdays, six weeks, not counting the weekends, not counting Sundays. And originally, this was a time of baptismal, time of preparation for those who are getting ready to be baptized, for baptismal candidates. It became a time of general penance and, and abstinence. And, and it has, in, and with increased emphasis on reflection and spiritual renewal. So throughout the first two centuries of the church, people would call for fast and they would fast, but only for a couple of days. But it's not until about 325 AD that we get the first examples of a 40-day fast, things like what we see in this season of Lent that begins Wednesday. And this 40-day fast is modeled after the fast of Moses and Elijah and Jesus. And there have been variations about how people would do this. Some people would not eat it all during the day. They would not eat it all during the week. They wouldn't eat certain foods. Of late, people have, given, have chosen to, to fast from specific things. It's not uncommon to hear people say, I'm going to fast from sugar. I'm going to fast from chocolate. I'm going to fast from meats. I'm going to fast from whatever. Even some people are including things like electronics and entertainment. And there may be a time when we call for us to fast corporately for a specific season and for a specific reason. And there may be times when the Holy Spirit calls us individually to fast. And the Holy Spirit may say, I need you to Deny yourself for a season. And that season might be a, as a means of having us repent and become more and more aware of our own besetting 
or entangling sins. Those things that we don't want to give up to the Lord. Maybe it's even a time for just a renewed relationship with him. Now, if you, if you or I choose the season of Lent or other times and in, and as an intentional fast, I think thirdly, we should keep in mind that fasting should be private and not performative. Fasting should be private and not performative. And I know it seems contradictory to say that fasting could be personal and corporate, but it should be private. And what do we mean by that? Well, the whole point is that it needs to be something that takes place between us and God. That fasting does not garner favor with God. That we don't get what we want just because we're doing this. There's not a quid pro quo. Some of the hypocritical religious leaders saw it that way. In fact, look, look back at Matthew 6, 16. It says, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have, their, they have received their reward. You see, these religious leaders sought to get public acclaim for their acts of righteousness. They wanted to look good in people's eyes. I'm not sure if anyone, any of us would enter into a fast for that reason. But I do wonder if there are other ways where we can sometimes hope, hey, maybe so and think I'm a little bit righteous or spiritual if they just see me doing this. We all have to fight against our own prideful acts of self-righteousness. But in fasting or in any other discipline, it's tempting to be performative in order to get God to do something. It's interesting in this passage, I don't know if you noticed, there's a couple times when Jesus uses the word where we get the word reward translated into English. And one of the things I learned is that there's two different words that Jesus uses in Greek in this verse. In fact, in the first one, when he's talking about the, the hypocrites, when he's talking about the religious leaders, how they disfigure their faces and they talk, walk around all gloomy, oh, I'm so hungry, I'm fasting. He says they have received their reward. And the connotation in in Greek is that they have received their payment. They got exactly what they asked for, right? It's as though there was a cost. If I look gloomy, people will will look good at me. But But the other word that he uses for reward has a different connotation. And it's as though the reward is not something that if I do X, I'll get Y, if I do this or fasting plus the, da, 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 da. instead it's, I will do this. And the reward is completely up to God. God will give, God will do whatever he deems is right and best. And it may not be what we want. We've seen throughout history, God has answered prayers. God has responded we saw in Judges how God responded to the nation of Israel. We saw in Esther, God responded to their fast. But God did not respond to David's fast. But there have been times in Israel's history when they kind of got things out of whack. And I wonder if there are ways that we do that too. In fact, there was a season of fasting in, in Isaiah 58 um, There was a season of fasting that they would go into. But yet, Isaiah, 
God through Isaiah tells them, you guys aren't doing right. In fact, look at what it says in Isaiah 58, verses 1 through 9. This is a little bit of an extended reading, but I want you to hang with me. And it's a little easier translation, but I I hear what he says. So this is the Lord speaking out. He says, shout with a voice of the trumpet blast. Shout aloud. Don't be timid. Tell my people Israel of their sins. Yet they act so pious. They come to the temple every day and they seem delighted to learn all about me. They act like a righteous nation that would never abandon the laws of its God. They ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending that they want to be near me, saying, we have fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? We have been very hard on ourselves and you don't even notice. I'll tell you why I respond. It's because you are fasting to please yourselves. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds, Bending in the wind, you dress in burlap and cover yourselves with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think that this will please the Lord? No, this is the kind of fast I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind the people. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. Do not hide from relatives who need your help. Then your salvation will come like the dawn and your wounds will heal, will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then when you call the Lord will answer. And I think the point that God is making through the prophet Isaiah here is that fasting in particular, but I think any spiritual discipline that we do should make a difference in how we live. Should make a difference in how we live, how we speak, how we act, how we interact with people, how we work, how we serve. But we also have to keep in mind that with fasting and with any spiritual discipline, there's not some magical formula or mathematical equation with God. Ultimately, we have to recognize that whether we fast individually or corporately, that fasting is a physical reminder of the spiritual reality that we need God more than anything. Fasting reminds us that we need God more than anything. When fasting from food, yeah, we'll experience hunger pains for a time. Some people have noted that when they do multiple day fast, their body just forgets what it means to be hungry. But those hunger pains or those impulses, those desires should drive us in those seasons of fasting to to say, God, I need you. God, I want you. I need you more than I want food, more than I want this whatever. Sometimes that recognition will take a matter of hours 
Sometimes it'll take a whole lot more time. There are a lot of people I know who tout intermittent fasting for health reasons. And there may be some benefits, some physical benefits that we glean from fasting. But giving up food or drink or anything else for a season should force us to let those cravings and delights and desires to drive us back to God and turn our attention toward him. Fasting may lead us to come to a place of repentance. It may lead us to come face to face with our own sin and realize, God, I like this more than you. Forgive me for that. Fasting can be an uh, an expression of our own grief in a season of loss or mourning. Fasting in in the Bible has often gone along with that. Fasting can be a physical means of humbling ourselves before God. You see, Jesus humbled himself to the will of the other persons in the Trinity. And he allowed himself to be born like us. I want you to think for a moment about Jesus coming here as a sort of fast. Here he is, the third person of the Trinity, this eternal God from eternity past. All the glories and splendors of heaven. He's the one who spoke the world into existence. By things are sustained And yet he chose to put on skin, flesh and bone, chose to be humbled himself and be born like us, to live like us except without sin. And then think about this. The eternal God allowed himself to be beaten and nailed to a cross and so fasted from his deity that he died. This eternal God fasted by dying for a season so that you and I might have life with him forever. Friend, if you're not yet a follower of Christ, then let me encourage you. Fast from your own self-righteousness. And trust in Jesus Christ. Give your life to him. When you look at what he gave up, and you might say, well, he only died for three days. When the eternal God dies at all, that's a big deal. He did that so that you might be forgiven of all of your sin. You might have eternal life. Fast from your own self-righteousness and trust in what Christ has done. But beloved brothers and sisters in Christ, you may or may not choose to do a Lenten fast. You may or may not choose to fast at any time or in this season at all. But when you fast, do so when the Spirit leads. The Spirit may say, hey, I need you to do this. Enter into a season of denial in order to delight in God so much more. Do so humbly, 
Do so privately. Do so willingly. It'll be worth giving up a little food, giving up a few pleasures to spiritually reset that we might walk more fully with God. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this this discipline that you've placed before us in fasting. Lord, forgive us when we get so comfortable with things around us that we enjoy and delight and crave those more than we long for you. God, may we learn how to delight through denial, through abstinence, through fasting. Jesus, thank you for all that you gave up in order that we might have eternal life. So Lord, may we not take that for granted. Help us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.